Chapter Eleven of the Chautauqua Girls at Home. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Chautauqua Girls at Home by Pansy. Chapter Eleven. The Next Thing. What she did next that night was to sit with her elbows in her lap and her chin resting on her hands and stare into vacancy for half an hour. She was very much bewildered. Colonel Baker had awakened a train of thought that would never slumber again. He need not hope for such a thing. Her brother Charlie saw deeper into her nature than she did herself. She was tenacious of an idea. She had grasped at this one, which of itself would perhaps never have occurred to her. Hitherto she had played cards as she had played on the piano, or worked at her worsted cats and dogs, or frittered away an evening in the smallest of small talk, or done a hundred other things, without thought of results, without so much as realizing that there were such things as results connected with such trifling commonplaces. At least, so far as the matter of cards was concerned, she would never do so again. Her quiet had been disturbed. The process of reasoning by which she found herself disturbed was very simple. She had discovered, as if by accident, that her pastor, as she loved to call Dr. Dennis, lingering on the word, now that it had such a new meaning for her, disapproved of card-playing, not only for himself, but for her. At least that Colonel Baker so supposed. Now there must be some foundation for this belief of his. Either there was something in the nature of the game which Colonel Baker recognized, and which she did not, that made him understand, as by instinct, that it would be disapproved by Dr. Dennis, or else he had heard him so express himself, or else he was totally mistaken, and was misrepresenting that gentleman's character. She thought all this over as she sat staring into space, and she went one step further. She meant to discover which of these three statements was correct. If Dr. Dennis thought it wrong to play cards, then he must have reasons for so thinking. She accepted that at once as a necessity to the man. They must also have been carefully weighed reasons, else he would not have given them a place in his creed. This also was a necessity to a nature like his. Clearly there was something here for her to study, but how to set about it? Over this she puzzled a good deal. She did not like to go directly to Dr. Dennis and ask for herself. She did not know how to set to work to discover for herself the truth. She could pray for light, that to be sure. But having brought her common sense with her into religious matters, she no more expected light to blaze upon her at the moment of praying for it than she expected the sun to burst into the room despite the closing of blinds and dropping of curtain, merely because she prayed that it might shine. Clearly, if she wanted the sun, it was her part to open blinds and draw back curtains. Clearly, if she wanted mental light, it was her part to use the means that God had placed at her disposal. Thus much she realized— but not being a self-reliant girl, it resulted in her saying to Eurie Mitchell when she slipped in the next evening to spend an hour, I wish we girls could get together somewhere this evening. I have something to talk over that puzzles me a great deal. You are to understand that the expression we girls meant the four who had lived Chautauqua together. From henceforth and forever, we girls who went through the varied experiences of life together that are crowded into those two weeks, would be separated from all other girls, and their intercourse would necessarily be different from any other friendships, colored always with that which they had lived together under the trees. 
well said eurie quick as usual to carry out what another only suggested i'm sure that is easily managed we can call for ruth and go around to marion's den she is always in and she never has any company but ruth nearly always has objected flossy who had an instant vision of herself among the fashionable callers in the erskine parlor unable to get away without absolute rudeness i'll ask ruth if she happens to want to come with us eurie said nodding her head sagely she will dispose of her callers in some way strangle them or what is easier and safer simply ignore their existence and beg to be excused ruth is equal to any amount of well-bred rudeness all that is necessary is the desire to perform a certain action and she will do it this prophecy of eurie's proved to be the case nellis mitchell was called into service to see the girls safely over to the erskine mansion where they found two gentlemen calling on ruth and her father no sooner did she hear of their desire to be together than feeling instant sympathy with it she said i'll go in five minutes then they heard her quiet voice in the parlor father will you and our friends excuse me for the remainder of the evening and will you enjoy my part of the call and yours too i have just had a summons elsewhere that demands attention isn't that perfect in its propriety besides bringing things to the exact point where she wants them to be whispered eurie to flossy as they waited in the hall oh it takes ruth to manage i wonder said flossy with her faraway look and half-distressed wholly perplexed curve of the lip i wonder if it is strictly true that is what troubles me a good deal oh dr hurlbut your address to the children that summer day under the trees was the germ of this shoot of sensitiveness for the strict truth that shall bloom into conscientious fruit it was by this process that they were all together in marion's den as eurie called her stuffed and uninviting little room never was mortal more glad to be interrupted than she as she unceremoniously tossed aside school-books and papers and made room for them around the table you are a blessed trio she said exultantly what good angel put it into your hearts to come to me just now and here i am in the dismals have been down all day in the depths of swampland feeling as if i hadn't a friend on earth and didn't want one and here you are you blessed three but we didn't come for fun or to comfort you or anything of that sort explained flossy earnestly true to the purpose that had started her we came to talk something over i don't doubt it talk it over then by all means i'll talk at it with all my heart we generally talk something over i have observed when we get together at least we do of late years which one wants to talk thus introduced flossy explained the nature of her perplexities her occupation the evening before the interruption from dr dennis the sweeping action of colonel baker and the consequent talk now do you suppose that is true she said suddenly breaking off at the point where colonel baker had assured her that all clergymen looked with utter disfavor on cards marion glanced from one to another of the faces before her with an amused air none of them spoke it is rather queer she said at last that i have to be authority or that i seem to be the only one posted when i have but just emerged from a state of unbelief in the whole subject but i tell you truly my blessed little innocent 
Colonel Baker is well posted. Not only the clergy, but he will find a large class of the most enlightened Christians look with disapproval on the whole thing in all its variations. Why do they? This from Flossy, with a perplexed and troubled tone. Well, said Marion, now that question is more easily asked than answered. It requires an argument. An argument is just what I want. I like to have things explained. Before that, though, one thing that puzzles me is how should Colonel Baker be so familiar with the views of clergymen? That is a curious fact, my mousie. You will find it, I fancy, in all sorts of strange places. People who are not Christians seem to have an intuitive perception of the fitness of things. It is like dancing and theatre-going, and a dozen other questions. It is very unusual to meet people who do not sneer at Christians for upholding such amusements. They seem to realize an incongruity between them and the Christian profession. It was just as plain to me, I know, and I have sneered many a time over card-playing Christians, and here you are, dear little Flossy, among them, just for the purpose of teaching me not to judge. Ruth, for the first time, took up the subject. If your statement is true, Marion, how is it that so many professed Christians indulge in these very things? Precisely the question that I just asked myself while I was talking. By what means they become destitute of that keen insight into consistencies and inconsistencies, the moment they enter the lists as Christian people, is more than I can understand, unless it is because they decide to succumb to the necessity of doing as other people do, and let any special thinking alone as inconvenient and unprofitable. I don't know how it is. Only you watch this question and think about it, and you will discover that just so surely as you come in contact with any who are active and alert in Christian work, whose religion you respect as amounting to something, you are almost sure to see them avoiding all these amusements. Who ever heard of a minister being asked to spend an evening in social card-playing? I presume that even Colonel Baker himself knows that that would be improper, and he would be the first to sneer. Of course, Ruth said, ministers are expected to be examples for other people to follow. Well then, Flossie said, her perplexity in no way lessened, ought we not to follow? Whereupon Marion clapped her hands. Little Flossie among the logicians, she said. That is the point, Ruth Erskine. If the example is for us to follow, why don't we follow? Now, what do you honestly think about this question yourself? Why, said Ruth hesitatingly, I have always played cards in select circles, being careful, of course, with whom I played, just as I am careful with whom I associate, and, contrary to your supposition, I have always supposed these people who frowned on such amusements to be a set of narrow-minded fanatics, and I didn't know that Christian people did frown on such amusements, though, to be sure, now that I think of it, there are certain ones who never came to card parties nor to dancing parties. I guess the difficulty is that I have never thought anything about it. Marion was looking sober. The fact is, she said gravely, that with all my loneliness and poverty and general forlornness, I have had a different bringing up from any of you. My father did not believe in any of these things. And he was a Christian man, Flossie said quickly then he must have had a reason for his belief. That is what I want to get at. What is it? He found it in an old book. 
said Marion, looking at her, brightly, through shining eyes. He found most of his knowledge and his hope and joy in that same book. The Bible was almost the only book he had, and he made much of that. And yet you hated the Bible. Eurie said this almost involuntarily, with a surprised tone. I hated the way in which people lived it, so different from my father's way. I don't think I ever really discarded the book itself. But I was a fool. I don't mind owning that. Flossy brought them back to the subject. But about this question, she said, the Bible is just where I went for help, but I didn't find it. I looked in the concordance for cards and for amusements, and for every word which I could think of that would cover it, but I couldn't find anything. Marion laughed again. This little morsel's ignorance of the Bible was to this girl, who had been an avowed infidel for more than a dozen years, something very strange. "'The Bible is a big book, darling,' she said, still laughing. "'But after all, I fancy you will find something about the principle that governs cards, even if you cannot find the word.' Meantime, Ruth had been for some minutes regarding Yuri's grave face and attentive eyes, with no small astonishment in her gaze. At this point she interrupted. "'Yuri Mitchell, what can be the matter with you? Were you ever known to be so quiet? I haven't heard you speak on this theme or any other since you came into the room. Yet you look as though you had some ideas if you chose to advance them. Where do you stand on this card question?' "'We never play cards at home,' Yuri said quickly, "'and we never go where we know they are to be played.' Flossie turned upon her the most surprised eyes. Dr. Mitchell's family was the most decidedly unconventional and free and easy of any represented there. Flossie had supposed that they, of all others, would make cards a daily pastime. "'Why not?' she asked, briefly and earnestly, as one eager to learn. "'It is on Nell's account,' Yuri said, still speaking very gravely. "'Nell has but one fault, and that is card-playing.' He is just passionately fond of it. He is tempted everywhere. Father says Grandfather Mitchell was just so, and Nell inherits the taste. It is a great temptation to him, and we do not like to foster it at home. But home card playing is so different. That isn't gambling. This from Flossie questioningly. Nell learned to play at home, Yuri said quickly. That is, he learned at Grandfather Mitchell's when he was a little boy. We have no means of knowing whether he would have been led into gambling but for that early education. I know that Robbie shall never learn if we can help it. We never mean to allow him to go where any sort of cards are played, so long as we have him under control. All this was utterly new to Flossie. Then, if your little Robbie should come with other children to see me, and I should teach them a game of cards to amuse them, I might be doing you a positive injury she said thoughtfully. I certainly should so consider it, Yuri said, with quickness and with feeling. Girls, I speak vehemently on this subject always. Having one serious lesson at home makes people think. It is a question whether we have any right to indulge in an amusement that has the power to lead people astray, Ruth said, grave and thoughtful, especially when it is impossible to tell what boy may be growing up under that influence to whom it will become a snare. Marion added, Flossie, do you begin to see? I see in every direction, Flossie said. There is no telling when we may be doing harm. 
But now, let me be personal. I play with father a great deal. He is an old man, and he has no special temptation, certainly. I have heard him say he never played for anything of more value than a pin in his life. What harm can there possibly be in my spending an evening with him in such an amusement, if it rests and entertains him? Imagine some of your Sunday school boys accepting your invitation to call on you, and finding you playing a social game with your father. Then imagine them quoting you in support of their game at the billiard saloon that same evening a little later, Marion said quickly. You see, my little Flossie, we don't live in nutshells or sealed cans. We are at all times liable to be broken in upon by people whom we may influence and whom we may harm. I confess I don't want to do anything at home that will have to be pushed out of sight in haste and confusion because someone happens to come in. I want to be honest, even in my play. Over this, Flossie looked absolutely aghast. Those boys of hers, they were getting a strong hold upon her already. She longed to lead them. Was it possible that by her very amusements she might lead them astray? Another point was that Nellis Mitchell could never be invited to join them in a game. She had invited him often, and she winced at the thought. Did his sister think she had helped him into temptation? Following these trains of thought, she was led into another, over which she thought aloud. And suppose any of them should ask me if I ever played cards, I should have to say yes. Precisely, said Marion, and don't you go to thinking that you can ever hide behind that foolish little explanation. I play simply for amusement. I think it is wrong to play for money. It won't do. It takes logical brains to see the difference, and some even of those won't see it. But they can readily see that, having plenty of money, of course you have no temptation to play cards for it, and they see that with them it is different. End of chapter 11. Recording by Tricia G.